us since September, we have been in a church-wide series called The Story, where we have been going through the Old Testament and learning about different pieces of the story of God, the story of God's people, and connecting it to a parallel passage in the book of Matthew. Last week, Pastor Joe finished up the book of Matthew. We learned about the Great Commission. This week, we are in the book of Acts. We're not starting in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3... Four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. We're going all the way to 10. This one goes to 11, 10. We're going to 10 today. But I would be very remiss if we didn't take just a few minutes to talk about some of the things that happened before we get to Acts chapter 10 because it's the story of the beginning of the church sort of as we know it. So Jesus, at this point in the beginning of Acts, he has ascended into heaven. And just as he has promised, he has given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It fell on the disciples the day of Pentecost. It was this amazing moment. There was the earth shook. There was wind. These tongues of fire appear on the, uh, over the disciples' heads. And the church is effectively born on the day of, of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is given as Jesus has promised. And through this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the disciples, who from now on we're going to call apostles, because a disciple is a follower or a learner, which makes sense. They followed Jesus around and they learned from him. But now that Jesus has ascended into heaven, and if we think about what we learned last week in the Great Commission, an apostle is one who is sent out. Aha! I didn't know that until two days ago. So I figured I would share that with you too. But... Through the power, you're welcome, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are bold, and they're out, and they are preaching God's word, and the Spirit is doing amazing things, and there are signs and wonders, and many are coming to believe. So we have that part of the beginning of the book of Acts, but then we also have this beautiful picture that the writer writes about what the church looks like. There's fellowship and unity among believers. They are meeting together daily to pray, to worship, to eat. They are sharing their possessions. And there's a uh, part of Acts chapter 4 that tells us, and I love this, that all the believers were in one heart and mind. Imagine what that would look like. So there's signs and wonders, and thousands are repenting and believing in Jesus, but, of course there's a but, there's also serious persecution that is happening in the church. The apostles are being arrested and they're being put in jail by the Jewish rulers. There's an apostle named Stephen who became the first Christian martyr. He was killed by being stoned to death in Jerusalem for preaching the good news of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And there's this guy named Saul, who some of you know as Paul, maybe more familiarly say that word right now, but he was originally named Saul, and his job was to stop the movement of Christ. He ravaged the church. He persecuted the church, and rather than me stand up here and say to you, because I get where some teachers and some pastors, they use like the up and down voice, and it's all this stuff to draw in and cause drama and intrigue and really capture your attention. If I say Paul ravaged the church, you might think that I'm exaggerating, but I want you to understand just what his mission was. And he says it himself in the book of Galatians. Paul says in his own words, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I perse persecuted the church of God 
and tried to destroy it. That's what he said about himself. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 9, the apostles have moved out from Jerusalem. They're moving into Judea and into Samaria because of the persecution. But the movement of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was given and born on the day of Pentecost, it will not be stopped. And the guy Saul, he's walking down the road and he gets stopped in his tracks and he hears a voice from heaven that says, why do you persecute me? And on Easter Sunday, we talked about an aha moment. Boom, done. His new name is Paul. And rather than a mission to destroy, his mission is to build and to call and to spread the love and grace of Jesus Christ through the gospel message. And we get closer into Acts chapter 10, and by this time I did a little bit of history, uh, a little bit of digging. A lot of the scholars believe that 10 years have passed, so it's not like Acts chapter 1 was week 1, 2, was week 2, or month 2. Close to 10 years have passed at this point in time. Um, and Peter, the apostle Peter, you heard the kids mention him this morning, he is traveling and he ends up in a town called Joppa where he raises a woman by the name of Dorcas from the dead. And many people in that town begin to believe because of the signs and the wonders. And wherever Peter goes, he seems to carry this spirit and sense of revival. Because Peter was a disciple. He was with Jesus. He was um, arguably the leader. He was outspoken. He was bold. He was courageous. And he is one of the people we are going to talk about this morning. We're going to dive right in because we have a lot of scripture to get through. We're going to start in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, exclamation point, appropriate response. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, he had gone. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. So who is Cornelius? Just quickly, Cornelius is a Roman centurion, which means he's a Roman military officer. And if you remember, the centurions were stationed around the cross. So it's very interesting and it's... Um, not common whatsoever that he fears God, but he is what the Jews would call a God-fearer. He sympathizes with the Jews. He believes in the God of Israel, but he has come short of becoming a full Jew in life and in circumcision. But he was a Jew. He was, excuse me, he was a Gentile. And the Jews hated the Romans because of the unbearable tax burdens that was placed, they placed on them. They persecuted them. They threw them in jail. So that's kind of setting the stage. Remember that Peter tells us this part of the story. Let's keep moving. Acts 10, 9 through 16. About noon the next day, as they, Cornelius' men, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. So like Cornelius, Peter also has a vision, only his is a little bit stranger, right? Cornelius is super direct. Go to Joppa, find Simon, who is Peter. He's at the house of Simon the Tanner. This one, Peter sees a sheet being lowered down from heaven, and on it is all kinds of food, food that he can eat, food that he can't eat. And by food that he can't eat, Peter was a very good Jew, And Jewish law was very prescriptive about what they could and could not eat. In fact, we call it this in our day and age, we call it kosher, right? But what that really means is, and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure it's right, it is cattle and game that have cloven hooves. That is very noisy, isn't it? Cloven hooves and chew the cud. So think cattle, bull, sheep, lambs, goats, and they have to be killed a certain way. And in this vision... There's no distinction when the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter's response immediately, he tells God, no. No, but God tells him this three times. And so Peter is very puzzled. We'll continue in the story. Peter's very puzzled, and he's thinking about this vision, and rightfully so. What does it all mean? And while he's thinking about the vision, the three men, the three Romans that that Cornelius has sent show up. And I imagine this would have caused quite a stir as they get into the city. They see there's these three men that are coming in like, we're looking for Peter. And everybody is like, ooh, he in trouble? Because they were coming for him, right? But God in his prevenient grace comes to Peter in a vision. He's like, Peter, there's these, there are men who are looking for you. It's okay to go with them because I have sent them. So Peter goes downstairs He asks, why are you here? They relay the story to him about Cornelius. He invites them into his house. They spend the night, and the next day they leave. But Peter doesn't go alone. He brings some of the believers with him from Joppa, and they are on their way to see Cornelius. And as they are on their way to see him, Cornelius is also getting ready. He invites all of his friends, all of his family over. And when Peter gets to the house, there's like a super awkward exchange between him and Cornelius a little bit. But we're going to pick back up in the story. Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask for why you have sent me? For Peter, the vision makes sense. And do you guys see the difference in the word? In the vision, he said, I should not call anything impure or unclean. But he says, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. It's starting to make sense. God wasn't talking about food. He wasn't talking about cud chewing, cloven hoofed animals. He's talking about people. 
So he says to Cornelius, can I ask why you have sent me? And in the next few verses, I love this part, and I imagine it's delivered exactly in this way. He says, why have you sent me? And Cornelius is so excited, and I think that's an easy conclusion to draw because he's invited all of his friends and all of his family, and he says it like this, oh my gosh, I had this vision, and this angel came to me, and he said, he's heard my prayers, my gifts to the poor, he's seen, he's seen what I have done. He says, send to Joppa, to the house of Simon the Tanner, send for Simon the Peter, come Tell us what the Lord has commanded you to tell tell us. And then Peter begins to speak. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. If we think about an aha moment, this is Peter's second one, right? The first aha moment that I can't call any one impure or unclean. And the second is that God doesn't show favoritism. And in this moment, he knows exactly what to do. He preaches the gospel message. And I imagine it's the same message that if the timeline is really 10 years, that he's probably preached a thousand times at this point. He tells them about the story of Jesus back to the very beginning in the baptism with John. He tells them how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, how he went around doing good and healing those who were under the power of the devil. Peter tells Cornelius and all of his household and everybody who's with him how he, Peter, and the rest of the apostles were witnesses to what Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem and how they killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up on that third day. Let's pick back up at verse 42. This is Peter still speaking. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what we would call a watershed moment. A watershed moment is when the course of history changes. It veers course. It changes direction. This is a watershed moment in the history of our church, and it will never again be the same. While Peter is preaching the gospel message, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. On the Gentiles. The gen- really? The Gentiles? The Gentiles. And the word tells us that they were astonished. They were amazed that God chooses to recreate their Pentecost experience, their Pentecost moment, their promise from Jesus on a group of people who, quite frankly, didn't even matter. The Gentiles didn't matter. And FYI, 
we're probably all Gentiles in this room. The Gentiles were not even part of the equation. And yet here is God, filling them with the Holy Spirit, much to the astonishment and amazement of the apostles who are in this room. And why, why do I say that they were astonished and amazed and the Gentiles didn't even matter? And that's, a, that's an excellent question if you've asked yourself that. If you didn't, ask yourself that while I explain this and say, ah, aha. I had to phone a friend for some help because it was very important to me that I explained this part of the message uh, to you today. And, and here's what he taught me and here's what I learned. The Jews had thousands of years of scripture, of laws, of traditions saying that they were not to mix with the Gentiles, not to have anything to do with them at all. It would have never occurred to them to announce the good news of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles if the whole vision on the roof and Cornelius, all of that had not happened at exactly those moments. And remember, remember what Pastor Joe taught us as we went through the book of Matthew, that the Jews didn't see themselves, they weren't starting out with a new religion. Oh, we're going to start a new religion. We're going to call ourselves Christians. No, they understood themselves and Jesus to be changing and to reforming Judaism, right? The Jews expected Jesus to come, to rebuild the temple, to bring justice to Israel, to overthrow their enemies, and to restore Israel to the glory days of Solomon and the splendor and the might and the power. The disciples were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was, in fact, a Jewish rabbi, and they came to understand him as their Jewish Messiah, in the first chapters of Acts, and even in Paul's writings, the apostles, they go to the synagogues first. The synagogues, was the, those were for the Jews. Then they went to the gates where the Jews hang out next. They understood their message as being for Jews only because, honestly, they didn't have any reason to think otherwise. Including the Gentiles in the mix wasn't a consideration. They didn't count. They didn't matter. They were different. They weren't the chosen ones. But on this day, God showed them that he gets to make the call who's in and who's out. He gets to make the call who gets the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And no matter the history, no matter the teaching, no matter the tradition, he was choosing in that moment to do something new and to do something different. On that day, God showed Peter and the rest of the brothers who were with him, this group of people is just as important to me as you are, and I'm going to show you because I'm going to do the same exact thing for them that I did for you. Same exact thing. Not some second thing. Not part B. Not part 1.2. Not hand-me-downs from your, from your older siblings whose clothes don't fit anymore. It wasn't leftovers. It wasn't a leftover container that you take out of your fancy restaurant and you see a homeless person on the side of the street and, oh my gosh, they're so hungry. Let me give them my to-go container. It was the same exact thing. They got the same love, the same fellowship, the same salvation, the same gift of the Holy Spirit Deliver it, delivered exactly the same way. And if the disciples had been paying a little bit more attention when they were actually disciples, which is what we defined earlier, right, as a learner or, learner or a follower, they shouldn't have been astonished at all. They should have been 
excited because Jesus foreshadowed this. Yes, more people in the family. The party is bigger. They needed to pay attention to Jesus because he foreshadowed this in John 10, verses 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. They should have been excited and not astonished. They should have remembered this. They should have remembered what Jesus taught them. And even for as powerful and as impactful as this moment was, they still argued about it. In Acts chapter 15, it was the first controversy in the early church, they argued. And with begrudging disbelief and finally amazement, they realized that God had widened his message against everything to the contrary. God was doing something new. Because God gets to do something new. God gets to call new people if he chooses to. So what does that mean for us as a church? Well, it means pretty much the same thing for us now that it meant for Peter, the apostles, and the rest of our Jewish brothers and sisters back then. It means that we, in this day and age, we, we don't get to make the call either of who is in and who is out of God's family. It doesn't matter if we have 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years of teaching. God defines who is in and who is out of the body of Christ, not us. The history doesn't matter. Whatever we come up with, the Jews had way more than, than we do. And their eyes were opened, and we have got to have our eyes open as well. God gets to make the call, and we must be very careful as a church to try to pigeonhole his love and his grace and his mercy to a certain group of people, to a certain place, to a certain time. We've got to understand that God's family whether we like it or not sometimes, is bigger and wider and full of more shapes and sizes and colors than we can even comprehend. And brothers and sisters, we also should be excited about that, right? Because we have the scripture that tells us there's more that are coming to the flock. Get excited. We should be asking ourselves every day, who is God calling today? Who gets to come and join the flock today? Who's going to come and join our party and be with us forever in eternity today? What is God doing? Who is he calling? Who is he reaching today? Because God is not done reaching people. But if you listen in the story, that's only one part of the equation, much like Peter's, Peter and his brothers had to learn how to express the gospel message in a world that was radically changing before their eyes. Our world, in case if you haven't noticed, if you haven't been paying attention, our 
world is radically changing before our eyes as well. And we also must learn how to express the gospel message, the gospel message that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. This is what he did. He died on the cross for your sins. God raised him again on the third day. Because if you, and I love this part of the story, and part of me wished I would have talked a little bit more about this, but you guys won't stay an hour. You got to beat the Baptists to lunch. Can I get a little feedback, the laugh? Thank you. <sighs> but in the story, right, Luke is very deliberate. Luke, is, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he's very deliberate and very intentional about what he shares with us about Cornelius. He's a God-fear. He prays. He gives to the poor. And that's great that he has that level of connection to God. But what was Cornelius's defining moment? What changed him forever? He heard the gospel message. We have got to share the gospel message. It might look different. We might be maybe doing it through what Pastor Joe calls shepherd evangelism, where we come around people and they notice that we're different, and so we approach it a little bit differently. But in our day and age, we have got to learn how to express the gospel message while understanding and keeping our eyes open to the fact that God gets to call whomever he wants to call to be a part of his family. And that hasn't changed. Calling people, seeking and saving the lost has always been a part of the plan. And we discredit his name as the body of Christ when we choose to believe otherwise. I can understand how this message might be encouraging for some of you. And it might be discouraging for others or make you maybe a little bit uncomfortable because we don't maybe like to see that God has a sovereign will to do whatever he wants and he can call whoever he wants. He makes the call, not us. So I want to close today by reading from the book of Isaiah. For me personally, these passages... Um, they soothe my soul, and I know that sounds like a weird turn of phrase, but I think of it like aloe on a sunburn, because every time I think I'm right, and Megan, if you know Megan at all, Megan likes to think that, Carolyn's smiling, Megan really likes to think that she is right. God often shows me how wrong I am when it comes to him. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 13 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I know we're not allowed to add to scripture. I add the word therefore. Therefore. What happened, Mikey? Therefore. Do, 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 do. Therefore. 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 There we go. Therefore, no matter what, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Brothers and sisters, God is always looking to seek and save the lost, and it might be sometimes a little bit different than the way we think he should do it or the way that we should do it or who we think should and shouldn't be included in the flock. But unlike our ways, the way that God does things, which are vastly different than we are, it will always result in beauty and in fruit and everlasting restoration and fellowship with him. Now I'm going to pray. We're going to close our eyes, and when you open them, like magic, I'll be back at my real job. Because <laughs> I'm the only team today. That's okay. I am delighted. Thank you um, for being here. I hope that this time, our time together this morning, um, leaves you curious. It leaves you hopeful. It leaves you wanting to know and go with excitement at who God is calling next to be part of the family. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we thank you so much that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are not our thoughts, and the difference between them, Lord, just, we love that you put things into perspective for us, that the difference between how you do stuff and we do stuff is higher than the heavens are to the earth. Lord, help us to trust you Help us to lean and to rely on your sovereign grace, your sovereign will. Lord, help us to keep open eyes, open hearts, open ears to whoever it is that you are calling. Lord, help us to be excited. Help us to gather around and be thrilled when we have somebody new that we can celebrate with because we know that that is one more person we get to spend eternity with worshiping you and one less person who will perish and be separated from you forever. God, help us to not want that for anybody. So Lord, if there are any of us here who need to have our eyes and our hearts opened to who it is that you could possibly be calling, we ask that you give us a spirit that is willing, heart and eyes that are open to see, and then the courage and the conviction to tell them all about your son who loved us so much that he picked up a cross, he bore a sinner's death, he died, but he was raised again on the third day. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for everyone who is here. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. Unite us, bind us together as one united body of Christ as we look to seek and serve you in our community and in our world. In the name of your son, amen. Surprise. We invite you to stand with us. We're gonna sing one.